0: Well, we're going to get into it now with our Bible reading for today, uh, which is Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 1 to 12. And so pull out the blue Bibles on your seats and uh, turn to the page up on screen and Helen is going to come read for us now. Thanks, Helen.
1: All right, let's read together. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered... must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened.
0: Well, thanks, uh, Helen, and good morning again, everyone. It is great to have you all here with us. Well, like all of us, I am getting older and uh, coming to terms with that. As I age, I am trying to be wiser. Something I've come to really appreciate in recent years is the value of asking good questions and trying to get better at it. Whether it's simply being a good conversationalist with someone you've just met, caring for an old friend, coaching someone professionally, being a good team member, Really, whatever relationship you have, knowing how to ask good questions is an excellent skill to learn. Over the next five Sundays, leading into and then out of Easter, we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus from various angles. Uh, Jamie's planned it all out and gave me uh, three of them to preach, plus Good Friday, and I'm really looking forward to it. And as I've been preparing, I've decided to frame this whole kind of Easter season with what I think is a good question, an important question that everyone should ask themselves but rarely do. And the question is this, could life be different? Or more fully, could life be different from how I'm currently experiencing it? So whether you're here today exploring who Jesus is and trying to see if there's anything in this Christianity thing, Or whether you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, I think it's a good question to ponder. Could life be different to how I'm currently experiencing it? I like that question because it's my observation that for most of us, we have formational periods of life where our view of the world is formed, then settled, and without being challenged from time to time, it rarely changes. Each person on the planet has their thoughts on why the world is the way it is, what its problems are, and we have some ideas on some solutions to those uh, problems and where they may lay. If you kind of bundle all that together, that's what we call our worldview. Our family of origin, our education, travel, best friends, our political leanings, our experience of religion, good or bad, all work together together to shape the worldview that we hold. And my point is that once our worldview is set, we rarely challenge it. Rather, gravity pulls us towards those who reinforce our worldview. And in our current very kind of connected social media world, that's easier than ever. So the question then, could life be different to how I'm currently experiencing it, is one that allows us to kind of push back against gravity. If you wouldn't describe yourself as a follower of Jesus and you're here today or listening along online, I really hope you stick with us over these five weeks and wrestle with the question with us. We'll be unpacking for you the implications of the resurrection of Jesus so that by the end of these five weeks, if nothing else, you'll clearly see that if Jesus really did rise from the dead that first Easter, it changes everything. And life could indeed be very different from how you're currently experiencing it in the best possible way. I also want this sustained look at the resurrection of Jesus to be really helpful and to encourage you if you're already a follower of Jesus, long time or short. Because I think the gravity of life means that we as Christians too can plateau in our understanding of God and His ways and settle too much into a familiar worldview. Hence, we too need to ask that probing question, could life be different from how I'm currently experiencing it? So let's make the first entry into this resurrection series now and it'd be great to have Luke 24, 1 to 12 open in front of you on your phone or on page 1060 of the Blue Bibles on your seats. Uh, If you were here with us last week, we left the story with the crucifixion of Jesus on the Friday of that very first Easter. And there's kind of three very different snapshots of people grasping in a variety of ways something of who Jesus was, with the thief on the cross declaring Jesus' innocence and perceiving something far greater as he asks Jesus to remember him as he came into his kingdom. With, of course, Jesus' famous reply, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. The camera, if you want to think of it that way, then kind of turns to a very different man with a very different background, a Roman centurion, who saw the manner of Jesus' death and the darkness coming over the whole land at midday. And his response to these events is actually one very unusual, is to praise God and say of Jesus, surely... This was a righteous man. And then the camera kind of turns, there's the cut scene in our story, to Joseph of Arimathea, a Jewish council member who our historian Luke describes as a good and upright man who had not consented to their, the Jewish council's, decision or action that led to crucifying Jesus. Rather unusually, he goes to Pilate and requests Jesus' body for burial a highly unusual act to request the body of a condemned and crucified person and even more unusually it was granted by Pilate. Three very different men from very different backgrounds with very different worldviews moved to different yet beautiful acts that acknowledge something of the truth and the beauty of who Jesus is. And we left the story with the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, following Joseph to the tomb, watching where he was laid. They go home to prepare spices and perfumes to embalm Jesus' body. Um, But as the Jewish day concludes at sunset, and the next day, Saturday, the Sabbath for the Jews soon began, they didn't have time to go and take the spices to embalm Jesus'. So they do not return to the tomb on the next day as they would have usually, as it was the Sabbath. Thus today's passage begins with the women getting up very early in the morning, coming to the tomb with spices and perfumes. Now history and tradition would suggest that they may have been carrying up to 40 kilos of spices and perfumes. This was a big deal. They used a lot of it. They would have likely have expected the heavy stone rolled across the tomb to still be there. Perhaps they knew of the Roman guard that had been posted there. Whatever they expected, they did not expect the stone to be rolled away and for the tomb to be empty. And just try and imagine the scene to kind of take yourself there for a moment. It would have actually been quite a fearful one, I think. Jesus had just been executed days earlier the Roman and Jewish leaders who had convinced them uh, to crucify Jesus were still in power. It was likely a fearful and dangerous time to associate with Jesus. And on top of the grief of losing Jesus, they would have been hugely disappointed that all the talk of a coming kingdom, all the hopes and desires that were based around Jesus being the promised Messiah at that moment, would have been crushed. He was dead. And the movement Jesus began couldn't exist without him. No one could kind of pick up the pieces and drive the mission onwards because it was all about believing Jesus is who he says he was and now he was gone, dead. Which, as we can read for most characters in the story, seemed to indicate to people that this was all over. The sheer fact that they had their likely very large amount of fragrance and spices with them to embalm Jesus' body shows that they had no expectation whatsoever that Jesus was risen. For human experience teaches each one of us that dead men don't rise. They're dead. And this was the end of Jesus and his movement. So sorrow Disappointment, grief, and now the confusion of an empty tomb. And then we read verse 4, While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, great question, Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And we're told they remembered his words. Jesus had been quite open with his closest followers that he was going to be mocked, insulted, spat upon, and killed and on the third day rise again. For the note takers, uh, Luke 9.22 would be a good spot to go or Luke 18 verses 32 to 33. 9.22 and verses eighteen thirty two 32 to 33. Just take that down as a note and read about how clearly Jesus had been with his disciples up until this point. But I think we should not look back and think oh if only we were there we would have tied it all together like the shock of the scenario the time that has elapsed but the angels are very clear with the remember he told you he must die and on the third day rise again and so we see that the ladies there that day the original Spice Girls funny to me at least (laughs) Our original Spice if you're younger than 35, over 55, you might need to Google it. But anyway, good memory aid, endlessly funny to me. Our original Spice Girls made two mistakes that day. Firstly, they did not expect Jesus to be alive. Jesus, as I said, had made it clear on multiple occasions that he would rise again on the third day. Yet it didn't seem like they considered it even a possibility. Despite having seen firsthand the many miraculous signs that Jesus was exactly who he says he was, the long-promised Messiah King, God come to earth as a man. Secondly, they didn't see the necessity of Jesus' death and resurrection. And you can sort of see that in the angel's kind of uh, gentle rebuke to remind the women, verse 6 remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must, that's the key word there, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Jesus wasn't just clear that he was going to die, he was very clear that he must die. I was listening to one of my favourite evangelists and preachers and social commentators, Rico Tice, on this, who had very great insight and made a good case today that both those who are sceptical about Jesus and his claims and some followers of Jesus can make those same two mistakes. Let me explain. Our world is quite happily with us following a dead Jesus a person who had a few memorable one-liners and stories. Yet our world assumes a closed system where something outside of our experience, like resurrection, simply could not have happened. Hence the claim of Jesus' resurrection is dismissed out of hand without any consideration of the considerable evidence to the contrary, making the same mistake as the Spice Girls'. We look at some of the evidence on Easter Sunday, by the way, a great day to invite your friends to church. Yet I think Christians underestimate the kind of power of swimming and breathing in such cultural assumptions as we do, that, you know, dead men don't rise. Very sadly, some who bear the name Christian have reverted to a dead Jesus, who can be a great example And who spiritually speaking is still alive in our hearts today, yet refute the fact that he, well, sorry, assume the fact that he never physically rose from the dead. And it's easy to critique such a view, and to be honest, my temptation is to mock it. But I'd rather challenge Christians here today who do believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus and ask you, do we believe what we believe? Yet in practice, sometimes relate to Jesus as if he were dead. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it. Many of us have lost uh, people that we love. They may be buried somewhere. They may have ashes scattered somewhere. And for time to time, you go and visit. And as you remember the loved one lost, it can be very powerful. It can bring tears It can bring joy, it can bring a whole range of complicated emotions. But what you don't expect when you visit is to talk to them. You don't expect to learn anything new, nor have an ongoing relationship, understandably, because they're dead. Because of the culture we live in every day where dead men don't rise, we can, almost without perceiving it, be drawn into patterns of relating to Jesus as if he were dead. We can gather here on a Sunday, remember some of Jesus' greatest words. It can be inspirational, it can be moving, it can be powerful, celebratory even. And we just look like, you know, Shane Warne's funeral, it looked like a rock concert for most of it. There was a celebration of someone dead. But for Christians, we can kind of fall into patterns of doing the same things and then going back into the week and living practically as if Jesus were still dead. Whereas the angels would say to us, Jesus is risen, why would you look for the living among the dead? Jesus lives today, we can pray to him, we can pour out our heart to him, we can ask him to act in ways of great power in our lives each day. And he is our risen Lord. He has a view on how we submit to his Lordship how we steward our money for example, how we help the next generation of children and youth amongst us learn how to spend their time and their lives well. Jesus has views on all of these things because he's still alive, he's our Lord. We worship a risen Lord who knows everything about us, who cares deeply whether we've fallen into a pattern of church in attendance, for example, that just kind of comes along here on a Sunday as a kind of task to get done in a busy week. Jesus knows whether that's where we've fallen in relating to him in kind of what I would call dead Jesus' ways or whether it's actually the highlight of our week. Together, together, at Jesus' instructions, hearts engaged as we sung that first song so beautifully to our risen Lord. We worship a risen Lord Jesus and we relate to a living Lord Jesus. We don't simply remember someone great who is now dead. The second mistake the Spice Girls make is not to see the absolute necessity of Jesus' death. Our world works on the assumption that if there is a God, we just need to be one of the good guys and we'll be all right if he's really there. Jesus is a great example of someone who lived a wonderful life, a great, dead, good guy. Our world would give him that. Yet take it a step further to a living Lord Jesus who must die for our sin. The thought that our sin, our treatment of God, his world and every person on the planet of whom he created each one and of whom Jesus loves each one. To kind of bundle that all together and think that our sins are that bad that The punishment for them is death and that Jesus must die to reconcile us to God, well hold on a minute, people aren't happy to go there. And for the Christian too, sometimes because of our pride we can start to feel that as we go about the Christian life, that we're really contributing something here. God's got a pretty good deal out of bringing me onto the team. The joy that once marked our earlier days in knowing our sins for what they are, past, present and future, that all of them have been dealt with by Jesus, substitutionary death for us, that he must die, out of great love for you and of great love for me, that joy of knowing that it's all entirely done by Jesus, it can fade. We can do the Christianized version of just thinking of ourselves that we just need to be one of the good guys and become a little smug about the good works we do in Jesus' name. Instead of seeing the necessity of Jesus' death and resurrection for you, for us each day the Spice Girls made a very similar mistake as the ladies return to the 11 in verse 9 the guys too we see are not expecting a resurrection nor do they grasp at this point the necessity of Jesus' death and resurrection they too make the same two mistakes and I think our historian Luke really shows his hand here He's very aware that if the ladies in the 11 didn't believe, he's got a fair job at convincing others who weren't there, which includes us. And that's his goal, both then and now, to convince both the sceptical about Jesus and to strengthen followers of Jesus who are prone to doubts. And Luke's very open about this. As he begins his Gospel, we sort of see that Luke is gunning for us all, transparently seeking to build confidence as is his purpose. As Luke kicks off his gospel, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught, been taught about Jesus. For the sceptical and the doubting, Luke is after you. And he does so after careful investigation by naming names of the people who were there. You may have heard the typical atheist line that accounts of Jesus' life were written down many years after the events, and we can't really trust them, therefore, which is not the knockdown argument many atheists think it is. It's actually quite the opposite, really. Firstly, it's a little ignorant of how most history is written, I'll leave that for now, because I think the argument is fairly transparently not a logical one either. So let's just turn off the highway for a moment and consider this. Luke was written about 45 years after the events described, which is neither unusual for the time nor a problem for us historically. Let me illustrate. Let's think back 45 years from now to a famous death. So quiz night, you a buff so you can yeah, get your inner quiz night on. So 1977, anyone know a famous death that occurred in 1977? Not a rhetorical question, you can call it out. I'll start giving. Yes. Elvis, Elvis Presley. Uh-huh. Absolutely. It was Elvis. You got a, I didn't even have to give away any clues. Thank you. <laughs> That is right. History buffs and music fans, 16th of August, 1977. Someone who uh, was another kind of king that many people have claimed to have seen after his death died. (laughs) Elvis Presley. (laughs) Now, my point is, if someone released a book today that claimed in the days, uh, about a day's journey from here, So we're thinking Jerusalem to Galilee. For us, let's think day's journey, Melbourne. uh, It's a fair stretch in a day. So think about it. Someone writes a book today that claimed to say that in Melbourne, shortly after Elvis' death, that he appeared to thousands of people, sometimes 500 at a time. He talked, he ate, maybe gave an unplugged concert, Jailhouse Rocks, Suspicious Minds, Hound Dog, all the faves. (laughs) and he was there in Melbourne for 40 days, then he disappeared. And the author names names of people who were with him and who saw him alive over those 40 days. If you think about it, any investigative journalist, a sceptic, I'm sure many diehard Elvis fans, could jump in a car and go and try and track down those eyewitnesses. Or if some of them have died, you could, you know, meet up with their, que- their kids and ask the questions, did mum and dad ever mention seeing Elvis, you know, for 40 days uh, here in Melbourne? And if people said, well, no, they never mentioned it to me before, and that was the story you got, we could very quickly discredit the book. Whereas if they said, yeah, mum and dad, they always talked about it. They were some of Elvis's biggest fans. And if you interviewed eyewitness after eyewitness or their children... And if all the stories lined up, this story would be huge, it would go global, it would go viral, it would be the only thing people would talk about for a while, which is exactly what happened with Jesus. Christians had every motivation to find out the truth because whether Jesus actually came and spent 40 days after his death was far more consequential no uh, in, uh, slur intended to Elvis fans here, far more consequential than when, if Elvis had raised. Because a, in the world at that time, a huge persecution was coming from Rome. People were dying en masse in horrible, horrible ways because of their allegiance to Jesus. So to the sceptical and the doubting, Luke is seeking to give you solid grounds to believe his account as he names names. Let's put another nail in the skeptics uh, line of attack here, another great insight I picked up from uh, Rico Toss this week. And I'll actually ask you in your blue Bibles to flick over to Acts 26, verse 26. So if you want to remember this, you just need to say it out loud once. You'll always remember it, easy to remember. Acts 26, verse 26. Great audience participation, I should have set that up better. Anyway, hopefully you'll remember it uh, for those reasons. Up on screen uh, as well. Now the context here is that the Apostle Paul, many years later, is defending himself before the Jewish king Agrippa. And uh, there's a new Roman ruler in town, Festus. What a great name. Paul had been in prison for years at this point for nearly starting a riot as he proclaimed the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection in Jerusalem years earlier. And he's at his trial and he states that his teaching about Jesus' death and resurrection is in line with everything the prophets had always said, that Jesus would suffer and die and rise from the dead. And at this point in the uh, trial, new boy in town, uh, Roman Festus, thinks he's mad, as most people would today, for believing that someone can rise from the dead. And so Paul says, Acts 26 verse 26, the king, King Agrippa, the Jew who'd been there for a while, he says, "'The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him, Festus, for I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner.'" Festus is new in town, he doesn't know what is common knowledge to everyone there just years after Jesus' death and resurrection. He knows that King Agrippa and everyone in town, this is common knowledge, for it was not done in a corner. The resurrection of Jesus was a public act that was seen and declared publicly. I think this is a great little verse from Paul just to show how much you could base an argument uh, on the fact that this was common knowledge because it was not done in a corner. Everyone in town knew about it. Jesus' death and resurrection was a public event verified by a huge number of people. It was known publicly. It was not done in a corner. Hence, Paul can say King Agrippa is familiar with this all. We'll continue to look at uh, such things over the coming weeks as we explore the resurrection, really just with the, the goal of saying no one's asking you to leave your brain at the door to believe that Jesus died and he rose again. There are good reasons, these reasons and many more compelling reasons to believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. We'll see more over the next five weeks. For now though, I return to my original question. Could life be different from how I'm currently experiencing it? If you wouldn't consider yourselves a follower of Jesus, the answer is a resounding yes if this is all true about Jesus. Firstly, if Jesus really conquered death and offers eternal life to you, I think you can understand that that would be a truly worldview changing event. You no longer have to live with the life is short, play hard mantra. You can give yourself to Jesus instead and invest in things that matter for eternity. If hardship comes your way, however bad life may get, we don't have to fall into a pattern of self-pity. We've been given the most precious thing ever, relationship with God and eternal life. However bad life may get, it is never the last word if this is all true about Jesus. Eternal and everlasting joy is the last word. Totally life-changing. Also, the worldview that tells you if God is there, you just need to be one of the good guys, is flat-out wrong. And it places you in danger. Your sin point to the right person, and mine is of sufficient weight that we're told here by uh, Luke, by Jesus uh, originally, that justice demands that someone must die for it. Confronting to be sure, but it's at the heart of the Christian message. And the great news is that yes, while that's true and that confronts us, Jesus offers to stand in your place. And you don't have to die for your sin. So please stick with us through this series on the resurrection. And uh, if you're listening along online, come along next week. And after Easter, we'll have a life series, which is where over a few evenings together, we can explore all this together in a much more conversational way and no question is off the table. For the follower of Jesus now, how do we avoid making those two mistakes that the Spice Girls make? Firstly, in relation to our sin, can I ask, have you plateaued on your desire to repent of it? Do you take it a little lightly, not living in the truth and the seriousness of the fact that Jesus had to die for it? Can life be different? Absolutely. Ask the living Lord Jesus to help you repent. He cares for you you'll likely use a brother or sister in Christ to help you put this stubborn and persistent sin to death and as you stumble and trip along the way you can be reminded of the great news that Jesus has paid that price for your sin in full and you never need to fall back into fear but you can just love Jesus all the more or perhaps you're on the other end of the sin spectrum working hard on repentance but feeling crushed By your sin's weight. If that's you, can life be different? I would say absolutely. Pray to Jesus today that you would be refreshed and unburdened anew to know that all of your sin, past, present, and future, has been taken by Jesus to death on the cross because he loves you. It is the simple and most mind blowing truth at the heart of the Christian faith. We can fall into patterns of not appreciating that as we ought and placing a heavy burden on our shoulders. And I'm here today to say to you, if that's you, life can be totally different. Take it to Jesus and to his death on the cross. To those, as the uh, song line goes, to, to those whom the sun sets free are free indeed. Life can be and is indeed meant to be very different to how you're currently experiencing it. And for many of us, and I've found this quite helpful to reflect on in recent days, helpful changes can come from identifying ways that we're not living and relating to Jesus as our living Lord. Here's a simple example, and i ask you, so this one is a rhetorical question, so don't answer out loud, but with what heart did you come to church today? Was it to kind of tick the box because I feel I need to? I hope the music is good. I hope the sermon's mildly entertaining and not too long. And say hi to a few people and then go. If that's the heart, and you can fool us, you can fool me, you can sometimes fool yourselves, but you'll never fool the risen Lord Jesus. If that's you, if that's the heart with which you came to church today, I want to say I think you're relating to Jesus a little bit like a dead guy. Jesus offers you something completely different in our experience of life today. One that's of joy, one that's of heartfelt praise to a living Jesus who has given you gifts to use and has called you to use them as you play your part in the biggest, most significant cause in history, building his kingdom. Together, as a body of believers represented by the people in this room, As we praise and worship and are instructed by and pray to a living Lord Jesus who is the head of this church community. As we make decisions around relationships, work, our financial decisions, large or small, our kids' sporting commitments, our commitment to caring for the world's poor like we're thinking through today with Compassion. It's very easy to incorporate just a little of our Christian worldview into the mix and justify things to ourselves. I don't know about you, but I can justify almost any decision I make. It doesn't mean it's a good decision. But if we're just kind of happy just to have a little bit of Christianity in the mix, I think that's relating to Jesus as a dead guy kind of thinking. Because compare and contrast it to something quite different with that daily knowing and praying and talking to Jesus as our risen saviour who cares deeply about all of those decisions, who we can pray to and ask for him to work in our hearts by his spirit to change our hearts so that good decisions flow from it. Can life be different to how we're currently experiencing it? Yes. So I say to you, this week and in all the weeks to come, ask yourself these two questions each day to avoid the two errors that we saw these ladies make. Am I treating Jesus as the saviour who had to die for me? That's question one. Am I treating Jesus as the saviour who had to die for me and did so because he loves me? And the second question is, as we think through decisions and as we think through the day ahead, am I treating Jesus as a dead good guy... Or am I remembering that Jesus is my living Lord and Saviour who knows everything about me, who cares for me deeply, who I can pray to, relate to and ask to work in power in my life today because he's risen. Mm -hmm. Don't look for the living among the dead, as the angels would say. We worship a risen Lord Jesus. Let's pray to him now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you raised Jesus for, from the dead in line with what all the prophets have said. We praise you that it was a public act deca- declared publicly to a whole city who knew um, uh, you know, just how deep and controversial and worldview-changing that first Easter was as the clouds came over as Jesus died on the cross and as he uttered his last words, and how the whole city was lit buzz at news of his resurrection, as he appeared, uh, sometimes to the eleven, sometimes to crowds as big as five hundred, and lived on earth as our risen Lord for forty days before ascending to your side. Please help each one of us here today, wherever we're at with you, know the beauty of the great truth behind it all, that Jesus came because he must die for our sins. And the life-changing beauty that we do not worship just another good dead guy, but that we worship and live with and live for our risen Lord Jesus today. Please help us to do that personally in our homes, in our church life together, in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods. May we worship Jesus as a living Lord whom we commune with daily. and All for his glory and honour we pray. Amen.